listeners, host introduction number one. Host intro two. Giraffe introduction number one. Statement of the podcast name. Uh, light banter to kind of soften the mood, get things going a little bit. Host joke about other hosts doing opening bit. Laughter. 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 Confusion. Confusion at the confusion. Neat. Motion to move on. Seconded. Uh, uh, and now we have to have the 17 people on the racing council vote on it. <laughs> uh, uh, sh- shuffling around awkwardly trying to find a way out of this transition. So, um, yeah, we just that we wanted to take it a, a little bit meta and kind of get one level above the conversation and take a bird's eye look down onto the conversation because that's what we're talking about today. We're talking all about metagaming and all of that stuff that's sort of uh, around, above, inside, under, behind the actual race itself that can influence your play and the results. So really excited to get into that. How have you guys been? Is everyone here doing good? Yeah, mostly. I've, I'm uh, hanging in there. I've had some slight health troubles, but nothing serious, and it's already getting better, so uh, I'm all happy. Mm. I'm glad to hear that. I had a headache right before we started, but you know what? At this point, I actually feel pretty good. Nice. I scheduled my, uh, by the time we have this, I mean, I'll have my first 5G antenna, a- antenna installed. Hopefully, so um, you're getting microchipped. Yeah, I'm getting my 5G. I can't <laughs> wait for the good cell phone signal, um, nice. uh, and, and high speed internet. I don't have to pay for an ISP anymore. Beautiful. That's a well, joke. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I think everyone probably registered that as as a jest. Um, cool. Okay. Well, uh, I guess you know we actually have a few things we need to go over here in terms of news. So let's go ahead and get into that. First thing we're going to discuss here, uh, we have to give a shout out to Sinak, who was kind enough to share with us uh, as as a uh, show, as the three of us co-hosts, an early access to download the new festive randomizer that, as you're listening to this, will have just dropped. Um, so we got a chance to play that. Uh, when I heard that there was a festive coming out in late March, early April, I thought for sure it's going to be like Easter, like is it, you know, Link's Easter egg hunt, like instead of Triforce or like what's going to be going on here. But uh, then he sent us a screenshot of some of the settings that you can change. And uh, Dante, when I shared that screenshot with you, what what were your thoughts? Great. This is going to be great. And (laughs) I use that term lightly. That's that's what went through my mind. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> so, what kind of festivizer? Uh, what kind of festive randomizer is this? This is an April Fool's one, and uh, it it's it's gonna it lives up to it. I mean, I, I act like I'm trying to tease it because it's not public, but it is going to be public when you're listening to this, like Temp was saying. So uh, you've played it. I guarantee it. You've played it. It's it, it's great. I think it's um. The qualifier should be played on this is what should be. And that'll be an accurate representation of Rando uh, being seated correctly at its finest. Yeah. So Dante brought up a really good point before we started, uh, which is that with with a lot of these festives and especially with this one, the joy in it is really in playing it yourself and discovering all of the changes that the developers have added into this particular version of ALTTPR. So 
we can talk a little bit about some of the things that are going on here, but we're not going to get into too much. Maybe in a, in a you know future episode, maybe we'll kind of break it down a little bit more. But for right now, really just want to encourage you to go play it yourself um, if you haven't already. Uh, and try not to get spoiled because it is really fun. But if you want to hear a little bit about it, maybe you kind of need to be sold on the idea. Um, let's go over some of the things that have been uh, enabled, shall we say, for this festive randomizer. Yeah, is this, this is this the part where we edit in and say skip to this point if you want to stay completely blind in playing it? I believe that can be arranged. I've arranged it. If you would like to avoid spoilers for the April Fool's festive randomizer, please skip to 16 minutes and 15 seconds. Thank you. All right. Thank, thanks, Tuesday Temp. I, I really Thank appreciate you. your services. <laughs> Thank you. What is that? That's um Beetle, right? I think so. Yeah. That's the yeah, wrong from, Zelda uh, game. Wind Waker. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. All right. Go ahead, Dent. Take it away. Oh, I'm doing something. All right. Uh, I mean, if you want to. So um, there's your normal, like, you know, we got the normal stuff, goals, accessibility. There's some hidden gems in there if you haven't uh, seen them yet. Uh, I will say that in talking with Synac, one of the accessibility options uh, called Unbeatable, if you actually beat the game and get to the credits, he will be freaking impressed uh, that is a quote, end quote. So yeah, I do enjoy that they've. There's a meme about the TR pegs being randomized and having that's kind of nice. Uh, there's a question marks thing that has different varieties of question marks and exclamation points. That mm-hmm. uh, Did I you figure out what this does. I asked Sinak for direct comment, and he said no comment. And then when I started guessing at what I thought it might be, he replied with no comment. So uh, I'm assuming sealed. I I will say that I think it has something. This is my personal take, not Synax. I think it has something to do with the prize packs in a way. Um, Also Mm -hmm. with maybe that enemy movement speed, uh, because there's just some weird things like I killed a guard and a roller spawned that spawned out of him. And I died at the very beginning. It was pretty great. (laughs) Yeah, um, there are enemy spawns from enemy deaths on some random chance percentage. My my uh, favorite yeah. thing was actually, and I try, I need to go see if I can crash the game, but if you save the blacksmith every time they hammer on the table, a new mini Moldorm pops out of the table. So oh, okay, I, it gets really laggy in there really quick. And yeah, I, I thought about making it crash, but I wanted to not lose my progress, and I need to go back and do that. Um, I have a the, quick question about the accessibility options to unbeatable that you were talking about earlier, because I know my peeps, and I know someone's going to EG to the Triforce room and be like, oh, I beat the unbeatable difficulty, sir. Uh-huh. Uh, I assume um, that's not what Cynic and also you meant, right? That's right. Someone... From what I gathered, and maybe Synac can talk in some channels about this, basically there has been a lot of patchwork done where you're probably going to have a really hard time making the credits spawn in the game. Oh, yeah. okay. So That's what I was thinking. It's unbeatable is All right. the, the the thing. So, I, you know, it affects, I think it affects logic, but I know it affects that. So that's kind of funny. Okay, um, that makes sense. Well, hopefully it's not just like a gate in front of the Triforce room <laughs> metaphorically. Like, hopefully probably not, know. yeah. 
Yeah, there's got to be some way to maybe technically beat it that it turns out you can't do that's not glitching like that. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure the glitch community will get all on this and see what they can actually come up with. And I, I think that'd be yeah. really fun. Um, the verbose mode is really good. Uh, basically, it's just a bunch of text boxes. It's it's a lot of it is either text. Uh, the text is either machine translated from Google Translate uh, from the Japanese vanilla game to like English or like really bad English. Or it's either rando text translated to Japanese and then back to English to make it very broken. Um, mm. And it's really great. There's it's a, very funny. There's an option for upside down link. I encourage everyone to try that. And also I encourage everyone after they've tried it to never use it again. Because <laughs> you it, don't need to encourage me. I'm already 100% on board with that. It's uh, It was funny for the first 30 seconds and then... I realized, oh my god, I can't line up anything ever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the flute shuffle mode's good. I encourage using that. Um, monkey rando is really good. I will not spoil that. You should try that. Uh, Kern mode. I don't know what that is. I didn't. I didn't play it. But Temp, you you have a suggestion of what you think it might be. Yeah, I didn't play it either, but I would have to assume that it like blacks everything out, like you know, Kern and his blindfolded run or whatever. Um, so it's probably something like that, and not something I'm going to be playing for that reason. Yeah, um, that will make sense. By the way, this yeah, this is a quick aside, but I wanted to give a shout out to uh, Espion who recently ran a similar sort of like blackout seed. I think he just went through and like made everything black himself and and beat that. Uh, so that was kind of neat. Uh, we'll put a link to that in the description. But um, speaking of blackout mode, that just reminded me of that. Um, yeah. But yeah. So I didn't try Kern mode. And then the last one uh, that, that is a new setting is Bonk Rando. Did you figure out what this does? Uh, I mean, I noticed when I bonked, I was going off at weird angles. So that was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I did mention yeah. going back to what I think is part of the question marks thing with the enemy speed. Like the, the yeah. enemies move at varying speeds, they move all like out of order. It's really odd. Um, mm-hmm. I love it. And I honestly think that should be a toggleable option in Enemizer. I don't think it should be like a Enemizer staple, but just like you can randomize health, I think this would be something fun to add into the normal Enemizer down the line, just to add that extra degree of difficulty for those who like to play, you know, stupid modes, uh, for lack of, yeah. you know, clown modes, I guess we could call them. Is that, mm-hmm. does that work, Kerf? Like, is that phrasing good? Yeah, sure. I think that works. Okay. I, I'm personally a bigger fan of Enemizer than most people. But I, I feel like that's mostly down to me playing like one seed a year. So, you know, <laughs> I mean, I personally love yeah. Enemizer, but I, I I'll play Enemizer a lot, but I don't want to make the health brick wall health, you know, every single mm-hmm. time. That's kind of yeah. a once in a while deal. And that's that's kind of where I would put this whole enemy speed thing is I would do this every once in a while just to, you know, have a good laugh. Um, yeah, it'd, be, they, it'd definitely be neat to have the option. I agree there. Also. A music shuffler and tempo changer. It's amazing. You should try it, but I got to warn you. There's a warning on the site, too. Uh, it's very loud. Uh, it, can, it can be. There's glitches and static noises. It can be very bad for headphone users, so keep that in mind. Cynic, um, yeah. uh, just real quick. Cynic, uh, I talked to him a little bit about this. You can shuffle tracks, which obviously just, like, shuffles the music within vanilla you know you could get like sanctuary music in a light world dungeon whatever then you can shuffle tempo which basically either speeds up or slows down 
any of the tracks uh, to varying degrees, which is, I, I love that. It's super fun. You hear songs in new ways. You get like vaporwave versions of songs, it's like super slow. It's, it's awesome. Then there's shuffle segments, which apparently takes, you know, every like eight bars or so of each track. And there's like a shuffle point there and it could shuffle to another song right there. So like mm-hmm. it's going through all of the different tracks in one that's apparently the one where there is a lot of like glitchiness and static that can come through. Uh, and I wanted to try it, but for that reason, I ended up not checking it out. Uh, I do have it downloaded. Maybe I'll just like dip in for a second, but I imagine it's, it's pretty crazy and it sounds like it's maybe not quite, uh, you know, stable yet. Yeah. It's, it's super good though. And then, um, yeah, I do like that. There is no palette shuffle. I don't know if you noticed that temp. Um, Oh, actually didn't so the hud i don't know how how deep we want to get into this uh you may recognize it from a uh, a compilation game on the game boy advance that involved link to the past and four swords adventure and uh yeah that hud if, if the palette is also related to said hud and um we kind of talked about we, we kind of glossed over it but that intro screen to the rom oh, is yeah. super nice there's a there's yeah. kind of a a hint there We'll leave it at that, and uh, you guys go have fun with that. But um, there's, you know, I guess, like, lastly, it, it wouldn't be uh, a festive without some small changes to, like, some things, like dungeons. We won't go into detail, but uh, you guys can, um, there were some mods made. It's pretty fun, though. You should try it out. Yeah. And there are a couple of other, we have more notes here of things that, you know, we discovered while playing. And honestly, I think, I think we should maybe leave that to our, to our listeners to discover on their own. Um, no, so that we I don't, don't see it that much. way. The way I see it is Synac told us not to say that, <laughs> so, <laughs> which is exactly what we're well, not yeah. going to do. <laughs> yeah. Both, uh, both can be true. And well, both are one thing I want to mention out of all these notes, since you guys have already talked about the enemy speeds and movement, is uh, Synex specifically mentioned that this is the first festive randomizer that supports the animizer. Oh, yeah. So yeah. I feel like that's an, a point we can probably talk about. Nothing special, sure. but it's neat to see, hey, the, the festive randomizers are getting, like, crazy big in their scope, if you think about it. Yeah, they oh, used yeah. to be it's very insane. teeny tiny and... You know, the the rando, I feel like some days, not not a slight against the devs. We've talked about this before. I feel like, you know, any ROM patching is held together with bubble gum, duct tape, and some praying. But, you know, and maybe a paper clip. But at this point, it's like, we've done so much. They figured out so many ways to do things. And the fact that it's actually stable, I'll say ish, as in we haven't really seen anything crazy happen, is pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's all very impressive. Dante, I also had the same thought about uh, enemy movement being something to maybe add to Enemizer full-time from this. Um, I thought that that just, like, makes sense, I think, to add to the other randomization aspects. Um, but I think, like, the general, to kind of cap this off, like, the idea of this, I think, was, like, the little bit of text when you're on the download page is, like, the... Uh, suggestions channel of the discord has taken over and added everything so this is like what if they took the randomization too far and then you get things like flute spots randomized and tr pegs randomized and stuff like that so it was fun to see what it's like when it's like too much like this but i'm also glad that you know the developers have the restraint to know what's fun to randomize and what's not fun 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, we might talk about that again next time. But for now, we will move on. Let's check in on the main tournament qualifiers. So they have officially begun. Uh, we're really in the middle of it. Uh, only a few have happened as of the time of this recording, which is Friday, the, uh, March 26th. There's not a whole lot to say. Uh, we don't want to talk about rankings because that's going to change drastically. There, there's still a lot of qualifiers left to go. Um, but do either of you have any thoughts you want to share just about the experience of participating in them? Have either of you uh, done any of the qualifier races yet? Herf, I'll let you go first. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's going to be quick. But the one thing that I will mention that uh, I feel like is maybe not as important anymore now, but we'll have to see how the other qualifiers turn out. But the first qualifier was understandably very popular. And uh, it, it really put RT.GG to its limits. Uh, we were at 154 people or something like that. Yep. And anything above 150 and it starts getting a little bit problematic. Uh, we've had certain people, not apparently just in general, the whole thing was very laggy. And I've seen yeah. a couple of people go, hey, I clicked on the done button like 10 seconds ago and nothing happened. So I kept clicking it and then it like done and undone me like five times in a row. So there <laughs> needed to be some VOD times and stuff like that because it buffered all oh, the no. inputs. It's, uh, yeah, it wasn't great, but you know, nobody's fault really. Yeah. I joined this one at the last possible minute. It was like 1145 and I ran upstairs and started my stream delay and got settled in and it started about eight minutes late as you can imagine with 154 people there was a lot of uh scrambling a lot of first timers a lot of confusion about stream delay what's a stream delay and you know then the ad team has to go and grant overrides so that they can get started at a reasonable time and huge shout outs to to those guys uh during that time going through and handling all of those requests and issues uh like champions so that we could get started at a reasonable time um but yeah, it was really funny. I guess, you know, they're trying to make people, they're trying to get it so people don't talk as much in the race time chat unless there's like a real serious issue. So uh, people were starting to say like, good luck, everybody, GL, GL, HF, you know, and then Sinek comes in and he's like, please stop talking. You just see like all these people saying, good luck, good luck, good luck. And then Sinek, please stop talking. And then a bunch more, good luck, good luck, good luck. <laughs> this is funny. But uh, yeah, it was uh, quite an experience to race against 153 other people. I was very pleased with my placement. I got 39th place. Very happy with that. Uh, I wasn't planning on doing five qualifiers, but now I feel like I might have to try to make the attempt since I did respectively oh, in the first one there. Temp's going in. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, we'll see. Hey, who knows? I've been, I've been on a hot streak. I'm 3-1 in the ladder right now. Feeling real good about myself. Oh, damn. Yeah. I don't know where... It is, and I'm I'm trying to find it so I'm not misquoting someone. Uh, Din, I believe it was Din, who is the, um, uh, I guess like head owner person of, uh, or the, the not sole proprietor, but like head like maybe lead dev of Racetime.gg, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. made mention that we beat out the biggest race with that 154 by one entrant. I think Ocarina of Time Rando qualifiers had a 153 person race. So, uh, ALTTPR King again, uh, 2D Zelda best Zelda, uh, (laughs) throwing that out there. Some shade, I guess. That's awesome. (laughs) Good, good factoid. And that's cool. And they're like, shout out to, I remember like Esper hub, uh, 
came in, a uh, mentor tournament participant, he's done comms for us and restreams and stuff, came in at the last minute, was like, hey, is it too late for me to join? And of course, didn't have the delay or anything. But, you know, again, Cynic was, was very cool about it and got him in there. So, like, just to think, you know, Esper wandering in at the last minute set, helped us set the record. You know, that's fun. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, uh, I did. I woke up with a ton of back pain and feeling like garbage Wednesday morning. And um, I also had like a crazy dream. I was being stung by wasps. It was amazing. So uh, I woke up and I was like, it's 445. There's a qualifier in an hour and my heart rate's going crazy because I was running from crazy stinger insects in my dream. I guess I'll do a qualifier. And so I love it. <laughs> I got up way before work. And then it was really odd being like, well, I've played rando and now it's time to go to work this morning. <laughs> I don't ever do that. Can't, yeah, I can't say I've ever done that. I have woke up early on weekends and played and then be like, yeah, you're right. It's like you finish and it's like, okay, time to start my day. And I just finished an entire seed. It's it's pretty crazy. Um, but you did pretty well, right? I got third. So I was part of the part time. I think the score was like a 99. Uh, I mean, that's probably good. Unless I do better in a qual, that's going to be my drop, obviously. Because, you know, you lose your best and your worst. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I still hope I can get five in. Uh, I know I was like saying that about SGL and then I just pounded them all out, but um, it's, it's actually, I think I'll be able to do it, but um, it's going to be like, I'm going to have to make some actual effort just to get five in. So I'm I'm hoping I can make my schedule work out for it. I mean, you were kind of saying in the last episode that you, didn't know if you were gonna participate dude, or you I, weren't exactly sure i, I hate standard i, I like hard pool <laughs> i hate st- dude seriously mm. hard pool makes death warping and preserving the tr portal which i did in that race so much easier because if there's a henox mm. it's like i can die so fast <laughs> i love it yeah man it just shows like how much better you are than i that you would that you would even think of that as a benefit and i'm just like oh i keep dying all the time yeah, dying <laughs> faster is great like because i'm using Word. it to my advantage if possible incredible uh so yeah we'll we'll dip back in on those um you know they'll be finished up by the time we record the next episode and then of course we'll be covering the groups and brackets as that thing uh, keeps going so uh we'll be back let's do a quick look into some uh community tournaments there really aren't a whole lot right now as the you know main tournament obviously is gearing up here everybody's sort of you know getting out of the way uh quick check-in on that goon tournament season three dancy you won it again i did all right and now the mystery tournament uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I did i i so i i put some notes here basically I entered this because I wanted, uh, and Temp made some comments, said I wanted, didn't you want to lose? And I I, I did, but I also don't want to just intentionally lose. So very quickly, last tournament, uh, not knocking anyone in this tournament, please don't take it that way. In Goo Tourney 2, there was like, I think there was like 30 or 40 people. Like it was kind of big uh, for like a side tourney. And then this time there was only 16 even, and it got divided up into two eight person brackets. So if you win three sets, you win like that's it yeah so um yeah. i mean it wasn't it wasn't free by any means uh, i played against cp colin then uh friend of the show oro and then uh, the mm-hmm. boulder 300 i think boulder's done some restreaming for us way back uh may yeah. may may be a participant in the 
older mentor tournaments uh, as Fat Boy Bowl? Never a participant. Oh, okay. no, didn't participate, but yeah, has helped out with uh, restreaming. I think started in MT twenty twenty and uh, was very reliable and helpful for that. So shout but, yeah, out to Boulder. Yeah, it was a fun finals. I appreciate Boulder playing uh, cross keys, full enemizer with maximum health and brick wall, like brick wall health and damage stuff. It was super fun. It was a pain, but we had a good time. And then we played a, a tournament setting for game two, and uh, I managed to win both of those. We'll, you know, I, I do like trying to at least defend or pass on titles versus like just, you know, being that guy that doesn't enter and then says, you know, well, you didn't beat me. You know, the only tournament I'll ever probably do that for is Plando because screw that tournament. <laughs> yeah. Still going uh, strong, the- by the way. Say what? Yeah, they're still, Plano, going strong. still going strong. Yeah, they're still moving. Look, it, I think they're actually down to like either quarter or semifinals. Like they're getting there. Like I think that tournament might be done by 2027. It, it's got an actual chance. They might actually do it. The Madman. <laughs> I'm, I'm rooting mad- for them. Tuesday, Tim dipping in again real quick. Just wanted to shout out the other winner of the Goon Tourney since there were two brackets. Dante won the top one, a.k.a. the Courage bracket, and the winner of the bottom one was Nidorific, a.k.a. Suspicious, in the Power bracket. This tourney also had a third Wisdom bracket that allowed participants to make match predictions, and the winner of the Wisdom pennant for this one was Oro. Dang, Oro's getting a lot of shoutouts in this one. I'm not mad at it, though, because they're pretty great. And finally, shout-outs to Arusta for running that tournament. Super fun, super chill. Already looking forward to Season 4. All right, back to it. Yeah. Uh, And then the other tournament we have listed here is Mystery the Championship Season 6. Yeah, I guess I can talk about that a little bit so Dante doesn't cover all the community tournaments here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So... Uh, Kyong92 once again managed to take the win in that. Uh, he won the third time in six seasons, which, you know, nothing to sneeze at, especially since the competition there is usually pretty steep, I would say. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's really not much more to say. Uh, he gets to pick the mystery weights for the next season as the winner of this season. And uh, congrats to Kyung. We'll, we'll see oh, what wow. crazy stuff to torture people with uh, he comes up with. Yeah, I was just about to ask. So in the past, when people have won this tournament and they get to pick the mystery settings, do those get diabolical or are they reasonable? Uh, well, I guess Dante can talk to that a little bit better than I can because I'm just a like watcher, spectator. I guess, more yeah. so than Pseudo a participant. Admin. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Basically, I'm, I'm there to give rolls and remove rolls. <laughs> mystery got fun at the beginning it's and not saying it's not fun now but some people are kind of getting burned out with it just because uh it's becoming more and more and more difficult like the the learning curve not the learning curve but like uh you have a people are trying to make wally made it where insanity was like every freaking race okay like that was the problem i'm just gonna call wall kicks out i love it but we had freaking enemizer and insanity entrance and inverted for like ever at least that's what it felt like. But it was I think it was a really fun season. I had a great time in the eliminated channel. Uh, you get that special role to post amazing gifts when uh, you get eliminated. And, you know, if it's kind of like your consolation prize for not being the champion. So um, a lot, I think a lot of people enjoyed the eliminated channel this time. What do you think, Herf? Yeah, I think uh, it was pretty enjoyable this time around. Uh, one one thing I'll say that's sort of related to what Tim asks is uh, that Cynic 
made it so that now a mystery also supports the door randomizer, at least for the championship. I'm not sure if that's just a public thing he's made or if he God made it specifically for, for that thing. Mm -hmm. But uh, that should make it interesting. I don't think the door random will get like a massive chance to happen in the mystery settings. But uh, I, I feel like people will definitely include it, or Kyong, I should say, will definitely include it in some form or fashion. There is a web page floating around out there that is all of the commands you can give to SahaBot to generate various seeds. And I'm almost positive there are a lot of these mystery variants or mystery tournament variants on that page. So mm -hmm. I'll share that. And, and if you want to try to uh, recreate them, then then feel free. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you can also uh, you know go in the Discord and ask as well. Cool. All right. Uh, let's move on. GMP community updates. So we've got a really exciting grudge match coming up this Saturday. Um, I'm not going to say too much about it, except that uh, we received a submission from an individual who uh, had a very good pitch put together, and we're going to make it happen, and we're hosting it uh, this Saturday. So uh, link in the description for more Wait. details. The schedule is up there. Are we doing it this yeah. Saturday, like tomorrow? Or like, can we talk about it like it's already happened? I'm no, I'm talking about I'm saying Saturday like it's Wednesday right now. Next Saturday. Oh, eight days from now. <laughs> OK, never mind. <laughs> All right. Well, you guys get to see how professional we are now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to do that thing where we like pretend it's, you know, the yeah. date we're recording it. The date we out, are totally a live podcast. It is now <laughs> insert date here. <laughs> and so check this out last saturday we actually didn't have a restream for the first time in a few weeks and i'm saying that about tomorrow which we don't have one so <laughs> wrap your brain around that oh man um, you're gonna cause a time paradox or something like that <laughs> i wanted to give a quick shout out to we shout out sinaith last time for helping us with the restreams i also wanted to shout out both malmo and other tom uh i looked through the schedule and saw they've been very involved in uh, crewing these these restreams as well, both in commentating and participating as racers when we need someone to, to do that. So huge shout out to the two of them. But yeah, this last Saturday, we didn't have a restream, Dante, because nobody wanted to race the expert functionality seed that we generated for <laughs> I wonder why. It sucks. Like, that's it. <laughs> it wasn't that bad, actually. So I actually did play this, which it's not always the case. And it was a sucky seed, but it was the seed that sucked, not the expert functionality. I didn't run into a lot of, like, magic problems, you know, and the, the kind of stuff that, that yeah. usually hurts you from, from expert functionality. So it wasn't that bad. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but for, yeah, any other thoughts about, about that? Because I, I think if not, we'll just move on with our lives. Congratulations yeah. to everyone who played it. Works for me. People <laughs> like to get mad at stuff. That's all I'm going to say. That's fair. Well, we're going to go back to another more traditional one uh, for episode 70, but we do have a little bit of a twist that we can add to it to kind of fit with the theme of metagaming that we're about to discuss. Tell me about it. I will. So what we're going to do is just an open 7-7 defeat cannon. It's very regular seed, but uh, we're going to provide you with a couple of finish times along with the BWS link. It might be myself. It might be another person who does a lot of the BWSs that we ask to kind of volunteer and provide a time. But the idea is, along with just having a clean slate of a seed, you'll also know two finishing times. And then I think we're also going to provide two like very vague comments that these people gave. So you will be, you know, if you want to, 
kind of processing the information of these two finish times. Maybe you know these two people. Maybe you kind of know their skill level. And it might adjust your play, you know, you know, you might adjust your play accordingly if you decide to sort of metagame that that information. So I think that'll be fun. Uh, we will put that behind spoilers. So if you don't want to look and just have a regular seed, that's fine. But if you want to use those, I would encourage it and then jump into the spoiler channel and talk about your experience and how knowing that information might have uh, affected your routing one way or the other. I think that would be fun. Yeah, it sounds like a really mm-hmm. good idea. I think like, yeah. you know, at least for this topic. Yeah, should should be interesting. Um, speaking of metagaming, uh, interesting uh, transition into the feature. Oh, we're doing that thing again? <laughs> <laughs> I just thought you were saying that and then leaving silence for the transition. <laughs> uh, both are valid. Let's all right. Let's get out of here. Let's let's get into it. All right, so the topic today, uh, first of all, we need to shout out the one who suggested this in our Discord a few weeks ago. Ben Creighton uh, proposed this as a question uh, one Friday afternoon, and then a bunch of people chimed in and started to discuss it, and the three of us hosts even kind of got involved. And at a certain point, we were like, all right, we need to maybe pull back discussing this here less because I think we're going to probably do an episode on this, and we want to officially kind of share our thoughts in a podcast episode with with an actual topic of metagaming. So that's what we're doing here. So we have kind of, I, I, you know, I don't think the goal of this is to teach you to metagame. You know, I think if that's something you want to do, it's something that you're going to have to kind of work at. And we might kind of provide some tips for that. I'm more interested in talk, just talking about metagaming, you know, like looking at it from some different perspectives, maybe recalling some examples where we've tried it. Uh, discussing how effective we think it can be or couldn't be. We've sort of got it all exploded out here where we can kind of come at it from from a lot of different angles. But as we normally do before we start, we want to define exactly what we're talking about here. So, Dante, get us started, if you would, with a definition, just generally, not even ALTTPR, of what is metagaming? Well, Webster's Dictionary defines metagaming as a term used in... Wait, ro- wait, wait, Webster? You mean Wikipedia, right? Sure. That's that's Webster's. Um, <laughs> a term used in role-playing games, which describes a player's use of real-life knowledge concerning the state of the game to determine their character's actions when said character has no relevant knowledge or awareness under the circumstances. So it's interesting that it has role-playing games in there specifically. Uh, that seems very specific to me. I've, I never really saw metagaming as having to do with the role-playing game, but I do see, like, you know, I, I play Dungeons & Dragons. I listen to a lot of, like, D&D podcasts and stuff. There's what your character is doing, and then there's you as a player controlling the character. Sometimes you make decisions based on things that you know in the game that your character couldn't possibly know. I have heard that described as metagaming. I think that's perfectly accurate. But I think it can be a lot more general, especially, you know, for the kind of definition we're trying to come up with in A Link to the Past randomizer races, where it's not a role-playing game, of course, but you still, the idea is the same, where you're kind of going one level above. So there's the game itself or the race, you know, in this situation. And then there's kind of taking a step above that and looking at all of the information that you can glean that is not collected from the seed itself, you know, with, with direct feedback like right. that. 
I think uh, a good distinction would be, uh, especially with Rando in mind, but really any other game that does this as well, if there's a competitive aspect, there's some possibility to metagame it in a way. Like even, you know, fighting games, if you take those as an example, if you know habits of your opponent, you know, you know, you can probably metagame that in some way, you know, you know, your opponent ducks a lot. So you go for something that counteracts that or your opponent blocks a lot. So you use a lot of throws or whatever. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And it's kind of like, you know, a very blunt way of putting it is like, does your 1v1 opponent in rando do they have a tendency that you're willing to potentially stake your race on? So let's say that you know 100% sure in your mind your opponent always dives Eastern if it's a pendant, you know, with or without progression going deeper into the game, then maybe it's a safer bet for you to also dive it just in case. Or maybe you could say, well, maybe I don't have an advantage over them. They can waste some time you know, in Eastern, because that's what they like to do. And I'll just never go there and I'll stake my whole race on that. That's, that's kind of one example. Um, another quick example. I remember I'm going to get this wrong as far as who was on which side of the fence here, but I know Andy versus Christos Owen in the 2018 finals, one of them made the comment. I think it was Andy talking about Christos saying that if you, that was back when the main, meta which i guess we'll get into just the meta later on uh Mm -hmm. but the meta was kind of do hope room and then go left side and that was it like you go left side and then if it's not left side like gt big key i mean uh it's right then you go right but at that time christos owen would get if he got a small key in hope room he would go right so andy if i remember correct made the 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 distinction saying if chris is going to do this then i'm going to do it so he would change his route based off of an opponent he knows very well. That's mm-hmm. kind of also metagaming your opponent, so to speak. That's your, your information of their habits is basically uh, affecting the decisions that you make about your own game when you normally aren't fed that information. It's stuff that's in the back of your mind that you just already know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So An- yeah. Another big example that comes to my mind from back in the day is... People used to know and also say it a lot that Jem always skips left side swamp. It was just a given that whenever he went into swamp, he didn't bother with the left side in like 90% of the games he played. So people, you know, started metagaming that knowledge and maybe gambling on the left side of swamp specifically just because they knew, hey, Jem is more than likely going to skip this part. And if I find anything good here, I'll have an advantage over him. Yeah. yeah. Now, if Jem knows that and he knows people are going to try to game that on him, he can then use that information against them. Maybe he makes a beeline for left side swamp or maybe he doesn't go to swamp at all, you know? So, like, that's the other interesting about metagaming is it's not just one level above. It also describes one level above that and then one level above that. And it's always going to be evolving until eventually, like, the smartest thing to do is the most direct, obvious thing because nobody sees that coming anymore. They all expected you to try to expect or, or you know, account for other crazy things. So, mm-hmm. uh we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. One thing I wanted to try to do here kind of up near the top of this discussion was try to give metagaming in ALTTPR a loose definition, at the very least for the sake of our conversations. So here's what I came up with. 
To metagame in rando is to create a mental picture of what your opponent or opponents might be doing during a race and then change up your own strategy to account for that. So I think that kind of, I kind of tried to catch a little bit of everything. It's about anything you can learn about your opponent that's not related to the specific seed that you're playing itself that you then try to work into your strategy, race strategy to uh, get a leg up on them. Yeah. So, yeah. I'd say what do you think? Pretty accurate statement. Yeah. I, it's not. Um, it doesn't it, cover it, everything, I would say. The uh, hardest. Go ahead, Herf. Sorry. <laughs> it's all right. We're kind of talking over each other here. I, I was just going to say, I think that's a very good description, but especially for bigger races, well, because you mentioned opponents, I think there's also different ways to metagame it. You know, finishing times of a few people, maybe a comment made somewhere. It used to be much more prevalent in the old IRC and SRL days, where you could see the comments people made immediately after they got done. And you try to glean some information from what they wrote there. Maybe, you know, stuff like that is also in the big picture of meta gaming. I would say. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, if group races in one v one, kind of when I, whenever I'm gonna potentially meta game, it's always one v one. It group mm-hmm. races is always a pain in the butt. They are all are always uh, bad grammar, but when you've got a race of 20 people and you know with qualifiers being the thing right now uh it's obviously going to be more than 20 you're looking you know we're looking close to 100 probably for the majority of these races unless people start backing out uh my whole thought is uh you can't really metagame too terribly much the best thing you can do is maybe the metagaming would be making some skips kind of like well i got one piece of progression here maybe there's nothing else i'm gonna leave we actually saw that in a qualifier. A lot of people did it, and I think they did that because it was a qualifier, potentially, where uh, Flute was in, I think, the beginning of Turtle Rock, and they bailed. But then Bombos was actually on Laser Bridge, and you needed uh, Bombos to get into Mire after the Flute. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, most people were double-dipping a pendant TR due to that, and... Most people who still had to double dip it finished very well in that qualifier just because so many people did that. And that's kind of the mentality with group races. It just, you know, it kind of sucks sometimes. You just have to do it. But that that's kind of, you know, I guess a big different, like a differentiating factor with metagaming, uh, you know, a group race versus 1v1. It's much easier to make a stake on something in a 1v1, if especially if you know your opponent. But I doubt in this community that's as big as it is and worldwide, you know, it's probably someone's on Mars playing as far as I know, but like, it, you know, it, there's no way you're going to be able to out, like out brain or out galaxy brain the entirety of a qualifier. Yeah. So I think qualifier metagaming and 1v1 metagaming are very different. Like you guys have been saying, let's, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about qualifier meta. The biggest difference here, obviously, is you're racing a bunch of people instead of just racing one person. So generally, the idea is that if you are a little bit more conservative and just, you know, focus on your execution, you will probably get a pretty decent time. But if your execution is not that great, you might want to take gambles on things to try to find something that will sort of rocket you, uh, you know, a little bit higher up in the pack as you're racing. 
Now, one thing about uh, metagaming in general, let's say you're racing someone that you do not know at all. The only information that you ever receive is when they finish, their finish time. When you're in a 1v1 and you hear that someone finished, the race is over. You're done. Yep. When you're in a qualifier and you hear that someone finished, that is metadata that you could potentially use to inform the rest of your play of that seed. So when you see that someone beats it, you know, beats that seed in like a 110 or something like that, uh, that, you know, maybe you start making different decisions about the way that you want to route the rest of the seed, knowing that it was possible for a person to get such a fast time. Um, there is a specific example, another one involving Andy, uh, and we've mentioned this a few times on the show, but it was a qualifier in which there was a pendant swamp and Andy finished like 10 minutes faster than anybody else, which kind of told you that there was not a hook shot anywhere that was like in linear progression of the seed. The hookshot was somewhere way far away. Andy clearly decided not to go look for it and beat the seed way faster than everyone else as a result because he can hover and he didn't need it. So that's just one example of a way that you can use, you know, qualifier finish time data coming in to affect the way that you play. But um, any other thoughts about qualifier metagaming? I well, do. Go ahead, her. <laughs> I was just going to say, I think I've said this like 10 times on the podcast before, and it's not my idea. A lot of people are also talking about this, but in general, it's probably a good idea meta-wise or metagaming-wise. Uh, if you're playing a one versus one race, you are probably okay with doing more risky things. Because if you lose, as you said, if your opponent finishes, the race is over. So you can either gain a lot from it or you can lose a lot from it, but it's not a big deal. If you start doing very stupid or very risky things in a big qualifier, as soon as someone finishes, the race is not over and it might cost you like 50 places because you decided to do some super brain, you know, a crazy move that ended mm -hmm. up hurting you a lot. So I feel like in general, in a, in a bigger race, you might want to play more thoroughly and more quote unquote in a standard way than you might want to do it in a one we one setting. Yeah. The other thing is, you know, if if we were to consider my earlier definition of creating a mental picture of what your opponent might be doing during a race and then reacting to that mental picture in a qualifier, you can't possibly try to predict what, you know, that many people are going to do. Even if it's like three other people, you know, trying to predict one person's movements or, or you know, what they're going to do is a lot easier and more reasonable, I think, than trying to predict several people's. And also several people will do several different things. So it almost is pointless to try to predict because one person will probably do one of the things that you're thinking about. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? You know, like it's just, yeah. yeah. All right. I'm going to talk about myself here and this includes a lot of people. I've heard other higher tier runners say this and that's, I'm just going to say higher tier. I'm not going to say top, but so in qualifiers, the best thing you can do is like Kirk was saying, don't make any crazy gambles, right? Uh, if you do, that literally can cost you. you do you really want to stake 10 to 15, maybe 20 minutes in a qualifier race um, on skipping something where you could invest a minute at most, maybe, to finish mm -hmm. clearing a dungeon and rule it out and then rule it out entirely. Like if you lose a minute or 60 seconds, it's nowhere near as bad as 10 times that amount. Like 
that's very crucial in the qualifier. So for upper tier players that have good execution and good decision making, my suggestion as far as the meta would go is you just clear everything. And that doesn't mean you intentionally full clear. It's just everything you go into, you go into with the mindset of until I hit go mode, I'm probably going to check everything. And that's kind of covering nothing behind, right? You're kind of covering your own butt. And sometimes you skip things, but they need to be things you can get back to quickly or like, for instance, maybe you get uh, no flute and you want to skip Ice Rod Cave or something, and then you wait, and then a flute shows up. That That's a chance, and then it's faster, actually, to do that and check Ice Rod Cave. You kind of net, net gain some time. Is it really worth it, though? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe your flute's actually in Ice Rod Cave, and you're kind of screwing yourself. You don't know. That's kind of where the randomization obviously comes in. So... It's a lot of depends. I know Temp loves it when I say depends, but <laughs> the uh, mm-hmm. the whole thing is like like Temp was saying too. Meta gaming in a qualifier you can't do. Now backing this down to a newer level player, okay? Like I'm I'm the rose colored glasses, brand new randomizer player. Maybe I've got really good game knowledge, but my execution skill might be lacking. Your meta might actually be take those gambles. And the reason I say that is because let's say you know in a 1v1 against the Ares, the Zelgas, the Dantes, whoever's, the Fears, like at that point you're not going to go toe to toe with them doing the exact same plays and placing well. So if your expectation and I'm this is all hypothetical, if your expectation is I'm going to be in challenge cup unless a miracle happens which there's nothing wrong with that. But if that's the case, then maybe you do take those gambles because at that point, in a way, you've got nothing to lose. That's what we call kind of, I guess, playing the spoiler in something like this because what if you make that top 128 and then all of a sudden you've knocked out somebody else that thought they they were a lock-in? That's that's where the the excitement of the qualifiers, I think, kind of come in for a lot of people in the community. And that's where a lot of the dread (laughs) for some of the other people in the community, like myself, just hate qualifiers because you've got to do this and you've got to not screw up. Yeah, absolutely. That's really insightful stuff. One thing that I do want to add sort of on the lines of the last thing that you said there is, especially for newer players, I want to encourage you not to freak out when you start seeing times rolling in. And I hear this a lot, and I definitely experienced it, especially as a newer player, when you are maybe on Crystal 4 and somebody just thought dunned and you're like, holy crap. And then a minute later, somebody else thought duns. And as you're going through GT, there's a dot done coming in like every 10 seconds or so. The the group has pretty much come to a consensus that this is how long the seed should be. And they're finishing right now. Do not let that get to you. I, I think a lot of people do. Um, there's sort of some controversy about like whether or not to leave your racetime.gg window minimized or not. Admins would tell you, do not, absolutely. You need to be able to be contacted during a race in case something happens. But I also know a lot of people who would just as soon not be privy to the finishing information. They don't want, they don't want to think about meta or metagaming or anything like that. They just want to put their head down and play their best and not look up until they're done. So, uh, you know, just a little bit of advice for for newer players um, to, you know, I I think that could also be a valid strat of just not worrying too much about it at all. Um, I don't know if you can't minimize it, maybe just put it somewhere where you're not, you can't see it in your periphery uh, quite as much and uh, just, just do your best. Yeah. And I, I agree with you 
<clears throat> me saying that I think you should take a gamble is not something I think everyone should do, right? Like, oh, I'm I'm not even yeah. I'm not disagreeing with anything you said at all. I, the I gambles, think everything you said is totally valid. When I say gambles, I think they very much should be sensible ones, but something that can net gain you some time. Because uh, when I played in the first my first ever series of qualifiers, I I took some gambles. Uh, it worked out like once or twice, and it didn't work out once or twice, you know. And they weren't even like heavy gambles. It wasn't like I'm gonna skip all the left side swamp. It wasn't, you know, I'm gonna you know, I don't know, meta GT in a different way. That's not really a good way to gain time. But I will say that along the lines you were talking about the, the whole like dot duns or whatever rolling Mm -hmm. in, I Mm -hmm. telling someone as someone who does stress about that, (laughs) telling someone to not do it is not going to make them not do it. It's, I think it's all in how a person's wired. So you have to know what works for you. Now, the rule state of the tournament that you need to have the race time room open in case someone reaches out to you or discord DMS or something like that. If I remember reading the rules correctly. So if that's the case, maybe you have discord open where you can see if you get pinged and you minimize race time room. Personally, I play better when I don't see dot duns rolling in. When I see them start Mm. rolling in my, my whole game starts to tank and that's, that's me Mm. mentally. So, uh, find out what works for you. Your mileage may vary. That's, that's how, that's my whole spiel on qualifiers now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, any other final thoughts about uh qualifier meta? No, I think we covered it pretty thoroughly. Just, you know, yeah. if you feel like you need to do something crazy, maybe try it in one of the qualifiers to get it out of your system. I would advise to just, you know, play it straight as much as you can and try to do things that benefit you personally and not care so much about, oh, what might this guy be doing? Yeah. Or, oh, God, this super good player joined my qualifier. I have no chance or whatever. That's, you know, that's just going to make it harder for yourself and not really help you anything. Yeah. Um, one thing one of you was saying, I honestly can't remember which, uh, there used to be a lot more like dot comments immediately after people would finish where they would just put in one line of like what they thought about the seed. Mm-hmm. And it was becoming really problematic because people who were still racing qualifiers were reading those comments. And I mean, that's a that's that's metagaming. Like when you're reading like someone's impression of what they just did and you're still racing it, like that's just straight up information you're using to try to play better now. And it's, it's really not fair. Um, and more importantly, it can be very dangerous. So I just wanted to quickly say, uh, you don't see this very much anymore, so it's probably not even a big deal, but I would strongly advise if you do see somebody's like dot comment or somebody like pops off in chat and you know you read it before an admin can delete it or something, I would really strongly advise you not read into those because you have no idea what that person was saying. And they could be straight up lying in their comment. Who knows? You know, so just a quick yeah. note. Don't don't think don't read too hard into things like that. One of the good things about race time is that the person who creates the room has the authority now to uh, hide comments before a race concludes. So if you're in a qualifier now, you'll notice that uh, if you try to look at your own comment or you'll see your own. But if you try to look at other people's comments after you're done, if that last runner isn't across the line or forfeited, you know, for the race to officially conclude, you can't read comments which mm-hmm. is great. Yeah. I think it's a great feature and it, it makes qualifiers for the tournament like this much smoother. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a great change. Um, all right. So let's talk about 
metagaming in a 1v1 race. It's just you versus your opponent. And just to kind of set the stage, I guess, to begin, let's say you are in a tournament, let's say a community tournament, challenge cup, main tournament, whatever you want to call it. You find out you are matched up against this person and you maybe know them, you don't know them, you are aware of them and their skill level. Maybe you look up where they're at at ladder. The metagaming can potentially begin now if that's something you decide you want to do. So, I and I've already kind of hinted at sort of the first way that people can attempt to metagame, and that is having some knowledge of the person that you're going up against and being able to predict or try to predict what they're going to do. Again, creating that mental image of what they're doing alongside what you're doing while you play. Uh, and we have some examples of some folks that have uh, done this. In fact, Dante, you you provided a few examples. I think you might have uh, listed these at the beginning, though. Yeah, I listed a couple here at the beginning, and uh, I mean they're they're good. And I mentioned at the very beginning of our recording here this part, the uh, the Andy versus Christos key scenario in GT. And yeah, that's what it was. Uh, let, let me let me preface this whole discussion about one v one meta meta gaming. Uh, that not all top tier runners do this. It's kind of just something you may pull out of your back pocket if you know your opponent that well and you feel like that it's a sure thing. Like you have to actually be very convicted it's a sure thing. It's like, well, if, if you think, well, sometimes my opponent likes to skip Pendant Skull Woods, but sometimes he doesn't. That, that don't really worry about that. You do you want to go mm-hmm. independent skull woods right now? You've got to make that decision. Don't make it based off of your opponent unless you are one hundred percent convinced. Like I feel like to do a metagaming thing, you have to almost be convinced on a religious level that your opponent is going to do this. You have to have full faith. <laughs> it definitely helps. You know, when you're in that interview afterwards and you can describe how you knew they were going to do that and everyone watching just saw them do that. And you're like, yeah, I figured they probably would do that, which is why I did this. Now you look like some sort of samurai genius and it's, it's incredible, but yeah, I definitely 100% agree with Dancy. I don't think it's, don't feel like, you know, researching your opponent and their strategies is part of preparing for a race. I think your time is going to be much better spent focusing on your own execution and and routing and and whatnot than, you know, trying to do a whole bunch of study. Maybe at the top levels, you know, uh, when there's really nothing else to to work on, you know, maybe that's when you can spend a little time scouting out your opponent. But uh, for most of us, probably not something you want to go out of your way to do. Perfect. However, sometimes I've got a perfect example for this. So yeah. talking about, you know, things that you could waste your time on with metagaming. I, uh, in 2018, I made it to group stage. Uh, this was fall of 2018 and I was looking at one of my opponents. I was thinking, well, I placed higher than them in the qualifiers. Uh, and I was still kind of a rando noob at this point. And then I started looking at their SRL times uh, maybe group races that I erased with them, or maybe they're just linked to the past speed run times. So I decided to, when we, you could pick modes, I picked all dungeons against this person thinking mm. I've got better execution than them. I'll be fine. And it actually bit me in the butt. Uh, mm. doing the all dungeons thing actually caused me to probably lose that race. And, um, so yeah, like, Sometimes you could just outplay yourself and sometimes most times what you should just do is play your own game. Like, like Temp was kind of yeah. saying, so don't, don't play yourself. Then you just feel kind of bad. 
Yeah, <clears throat> I think the the two things that come to mind for myself here is a, uh, I think when you talk about meta gaming your opponent in a one versus one setting, you you definitely don't want to. How do I put this? You definitely don't want to meta game them on everything that you might know about them. You know, if you know that they, yeah. to take the examples out of the outline, you know, how do they route GT? Uh, do they go to Dark DM before Hook? Do they skip Spiral Cave? Do they skip Left Tide Swamp? If you know all of those things, you're probably not going to sit down and be like, all right, I'm going to do the exact opposite of this, 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 and that, just so I can metagame my opponent. You might pick and choose like one or two things that might not cost you too much time if it doesn't work out for you, but you're never going to metagame your opponent like 100%. And yeah. uh, the second thing that I want to mention is I feel like in Rando especially, it's very hard to get a clear read. To go back to my fighting game example, if you know, hey, uh, in my next match, I'm going to be up against this guy. And you probably know, okay, he has like a main character and maybe he has like one or two characters they can switch to. And that's really all you need to know. Maybe some of their play style or whatever. But in Rando, everything depends so much on how the seats go in, what kind of mode you're playing, how the pendants and crystals are laid out, where you find progression. It's it's kind of hard to really glean, like, super accurate information, I would say. So it can make metagaming a lot harder than it would in any other game. Yeah, absolutely. You have to do so much guesswork on your end, even if you confidently, definitely know the person you you have no idea what happened in their seed the, by the time they get to that decision point that you got to that is going to make you feel very confident about which way they went on it, you know, most times. Mm -hmm. um, so Jossam Sauce shared a uh, situation where he attempted to metagame. It was during a speed gaming daily race. Uh, so technically it was like a group race setting, but he was on a uh, speed gaming restream against his teammate, his league teammate, Radical Sniper. So he was really kind of like 1v1-ing Radical Sniper. And, and here's what he said. I decided against going independent pod looking for the go mode item because I knew he'd go in there every time. I figured if the item wasn't in pod, I would find it first and win. So that was his metagaming. And, you know, I think the logic there is sound, but it breaks down if there is a uh, progression in pod, which in this case, unfortunately, there was. He oh, said, I cleared cool. the entire overworld and last location, the item in pod and lost by 15 plus minutes. <laughs> so I think, you know, good example of trying to utilize that, but also a good example of how you can really kind of play yourself if you if you think about it too hard sometimes. Yeah, you know? definitely. Um, so, you know, we've been talking about, you know, if you know your opponent or if you research your opponent very specifically, but I think another way that people really commonly metagame is by just sort of generally knowing their opponent's skill level and knowing what sort of tricks someone maybe can or can't pull off. This would be like saying, okay, I'm racing in this seed and I realize I have an opportunity to do this particular glitch and I feel fairly confident that my opponent can't do that. So for that reason, I'm going to do this glitch and collect the items that come from it, hoping that that's going to give me some kind of competitive break, you know, sequence break or advantage over my opponent. And I think that counts as metagaming because the reason you chose to do it was specifically because you don't think that your opponent can do it. So that's just one example of like skill based metagaming. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Does one of y'all want to read that? that? 
yeah, the um, example from Arasta here. Sure, oh, yeah. I can go over that, sure. Oh, do it, uh, Earth. I've been talking a lot. All right. <laughs> so uh, Arasta wrote in and said, I adjust my strategy on the fly based on how I think my opponent is doing, both based on how I think our skill compares and how I've played thus far. So if I feel behind due to being outclassed, unproductive pendant dips or costly deaths, I will adjust to be more aggressive in skipping checks or making plays I don't think my opponent would. To try something to roll the dice. Something TM. To roll the dice. Conversely, try if I, something. Oh, like try the, the something. Oh, try something. Okay, try that we something all now. Like to yeah. throw at the wall. Now yeah. I get it. <laughs> yeah. uh, conversely, if I feel good about the way things are going, I stay more conservative so I don't waste it by missing progression. As a general thing, if I'm right in my estimation of how the race is, it works out well, but I do get burned sometimes by assuming my opponent is playing great so I get too gambly when they actually are struggling like I am. I think so this is really. Yeah, this is really interesting because it's not necessarily about their skill level, but like the seed itself and mm -hmm. how you think your opponent might be reacting to what the seed is throwing at both of you. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a very dangerous thing to do for me personally. Oh yeah, I try. I'm I'm one of those people. You know, we were talking about earlier minimizing race time GG or you know minimizing your IRC clients so you don't see the dot duns and stuff. I like to just put my head down and play the way that I would normally play and then decide stuff because of how the seat plays out and less because I think about what my opponent would be doing. Mm -hmm. And I think especially that last sentence from Arusta is important here. You know, you sometimes get burned because you feel like your opponent must be doing so much better than you and they're surely going to finish in the next five minutes. And then after the race, you find out, oh, if I had just played it like I'd play any other seed, I probably would have won because they were struggling even worse than I was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's very common to, as you're racing, a lot of people talk about feeling behind. Like, oh, I, I feel like I'm behind. It, I don't, it's almost like it doesn't even matter who you're racing. Just like your your Mario Kart ghost is way ahead of you, like in, in your, you know, in your thoughts. Mm -hmm. So everything you do starts getting desperate. You start skipping crazy things you start making dips into wild pendant dungeons um and yeah i think that is a like a unique race kind of thing because again it's it's definitely a gamble that you take sort of against the odds um so other ways that you can metagame so i think i think you know like looking at your opponent and your knowledge of them really encapsulate most encapsulates most of the examples but i did try to think of some other ways that one can kind of collect uh, metadata. Uh, and I wanted to give a quick shout out to something that obviously doesn't come out very often at all, uh, but gave us a whole lot to talk about when we saw it. And that was when we were doing in-person races at Speed Gaming Live. Um, and we commented on this in our live episode of Speed Gaming Live 2019, way back when, if you want to check that out. But one of the things that we commented on was like how you can read people's facial expressions and, you know, even just like body language, I, I remember so clearly in a qualifier against somebody, our two TVs were, uh, you know, back to back. So I couldn't see him, but I could definitely hear him. He was very close by to me. And it was just so much like, oh, oh. Yeah, you know, or just like visible frustration and reacting to the seed to the point where I knew exactly what it had. It was like something like the hammer was in a really ridiculous place. And I was like, mm, seems like he just got that hammer. Yeah, you must and have I was the right. ice it turned out I was right. Yeah. 
In, in person races are definitely another different beast, I would say. You could be on the main stage and you open Meyer and your opponent sees your screen flashing in your face a couple of times. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, mm-hmm. we, we saw that we've, happen. All, we've all witnessed that while we were there. Uh, and, you know, suddenly you know, oh, well, they're in Meyer. Does that mean that the Meyer pen, uh, medallion is something that we've already found? Or, you know, you can definitely get more information or just as you were saying maybe hearing something or seeing their facial reactions i think racing in person is a whole nother ballpark sure yeah Yeah. and we've talked about it before and and in person racing you know it's fun to you know pick those up i I would say try to not pick those things up i mean sometimes it's unavoidable Mm -hmm. uh you know if it's a tournament but i mean like a casual race like it's kind of whatever i know um a good example of this was uh, AGDQ 2020, uh, when I was there, I, I did a pickup, there was a pickup race, uh, a mystery race we did. It was myself, Ack, Korek, and Chex, and, uh, we're all kind of sitting near each other with our monitors tilted so we couldn't see each other and all that, and then all of a sudden we hear Korek's monitor start blasting the flute theme, and <laughs> three of us kind of just look at each other, and Korek starts laughing and acts just like, I clearly missed something. I don't know about you guys, because I hadn't heard it from you. And at that point, we all knew, crap, we don't have a flute, and he does. That's bad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, chat, like, voice chat races definitely belongs in this category, too, because it's, again, it's additional metadata that you pick up from somebody during a race that yeah. you could never get under, you know, normal circumstances. Yeah. Um. One thing I wanted to kind of throw in here, this isn't about uh, metagaming specifically your opponent, uh, but when you're on ladder, you don't know who your opponent is. And I wonder if there is a conversation to be had, and maybe it's a quick, like, the conversation is no, but do you think there is any benefit or anything like that to try to figure out who your opponent is? I'm not saying, like, in a way that is illegal, but, like, trying to guess who your opponent might be based on the entrance and skill level. Do you think there's any benefit to that? Mm, I mean, there could be. People have been pretty good, especially in smaller races. They've been pretty good at predicting who their opponent might be. They've, Mind you, they've not always been right, but they've been right a lot of the time. Yeah. And then it kind of turns into a one versus one situation that we were talking about earlier, because if you kind of know who your opponent is, and you're reasonably confident that it's going to be them, then you can just, you know, switch back to the whole one versus one metagaming thing that we were talking about earlier, where you're like, all right, what do I know about them? What might they do that I could exploit to maybe get a, get a leg up over them and all that stuff? Right. It's an additional level above the normal metagaming because first you have to try to predict your opponent, then you're going off the assumption that that's, your opponent and trying to guess what they might do. And you're like so far removed from the intent of all of this at at that point that um, I definitely wouldn't try to do it, but I do. I I think it'd be silly if we tried to say that like no one has ever tried to do it. I'm sure people have. And I just wonder if it's like even helpful or not. I I think probably honestly, most times that I've watched people, including myself uh, talk about who they think their opponent is in ladder they're usually trying to calculate if they are ahead or behind. And it's not so mm-hmm. much like, should I make a decision to do this? 
it's just kind of trying to put maybe your mind gears uh, at ease and not have those have them churning thinking well am i ahead am i behind you know whatever it's like okay well if i look during this crystal cut scene i see that you know these five people are still playing the ladder and they're one of those five uh you know out of the five well say there's like 20 it's like i see five here that probably could be my opponent okay so maybe i'm not screwed yet this would be like if you had the whole what do you call it uh the alert turned off so yeah. you keep going like it, something like that i think it can be a personal motivator kind of like something to give you that second wind like especially if you've had one thing go wrong and it wasn't something that would even ruin your run it's just something that gets in your head so and i am the biggest person who is guilty of this i've never not once done a race where i have not like i've never uttered or not uttered the words i'm behind like i feel so (laughs) behind i say that literally every race i could skip everything non-progression i could have a spoiler race and my opponent not have a spoiler log and i would still feel behind at some point (laughs) it's just it's how i'm wired so if I start thinking things through, maybe I don't feel as bad later on. But that's also why, and because I race during work <laughs> sometimes for ladder, <laughs> that's why I've got yeah. the notification on. Because when I yeah. see it, it's like, you know what? I've lost. Thanks for watching, guys. I'm out of here. Uh, just because Same. GGs, because I've got to get back to work. And that's I think that's kind of my whole take on it. But if you've, if you've got that turned off, then trying to figure out your opponent, as long as you aren't doing it for cheating purposes, if you're just doing it for your own mental well-being, I, I think it's totally legit. But I don't think you're gonna I don't think you're gonna see a lot of good runners try to make a meta gaming decision like you would in a known opponent scenario just based off their conjecture of who their opponent might be. Yeah, I think your uh, distillation of that into not necessarily trying to figure out the person themselves, but like the general skill level of the person is is good. That's a better way to go about it. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, there's one more uh, element here I want to talk about. And, you know, imagine if, if we're in the rando library right now, this is in the like roped off section. And there's a bunch of signs saying, like, keep out forbidden knowledge um, be- because it, it's it's dangerous and unsavory. But I want to talk a little bit about specifically misdirecting your opponents or maybe even, like, trying to get inside their head before a race. Uh, fortunately, we have a great community that is full of very respectful people that uh, don't, you know, gloat or try to play, you know, like petty mind games or anything. But theoretically, you know, if someone were to say to you before a race, like, I am going to do this, or I'm going to skip this, or something like that, would you trust that information and and take them at their word? Or would you assume they're trying to mess with you and just completely disregard it? I disregard it. Yeah, same. I I mean, I don't trust anyone. (laughs) Yeah, don't trust anyone. Like, if you do this, it's a dick move, period. Like... If you're just like telling, unless it's just your friends and you're just kind of casually doing a race saying like, haha, I'm going to do this. Like, and you're cool with those people. But like, if you go in a qualifier, like not even just a qualifier, but like a, a speed gaming daily and you just say, hey guys, I'm going to skip all of Kakariko and then you don't, or you even do like telling someone what you're going to do ahead of time to mess with them is a dick move, period. Like, yeah, uh, yeah don't and I think do it. In, a, in a situation like that, at least I would imagine 
if you're going to go into a race room, whatever it might be, qualifier, daily, whatever, and you're like, oh, today I'm going to skip left side swam, boop de doo I think most people will just assuming will just assume you're trolling. They'll, they'll yeah, put, yeah. The, the answers you'll get will probably be like, oh, yeah, and I'm going to skip GT. And then, you know, stuff like that. People will probably not take you seriously. Yeah. Uh, I did want to share a quick anecdote for the Goon tournament. I was matched up against Oro. And I've been watching a lot of Haikyuu, as you guys know. I love that show. <laughs> One of the things they do on that show a lot, there is a lot of rivals uh, making eye contact with one another and saying things like, I will crush you one day. And then the person they say it to like goes, Ugh. and they kind of like smile a little bit. They'll be like, I look forward to you trying, you know? And it's like very, it's like, okay, cool. They're both going to try their best. And, you know, confidence is key. You've got to be confident. I decided to try that against Oro. So right before the race started, about one minute before in our race time chat, uh, we were like, all right, uh, good luck. Have, have fun. Good seed. I said, I just want to say one thing before we start. I'm going to win this race. And then we started. And then I lost by eight minutes. So I don't think it worked. Um, and <laughs> I, uh, I asked him afterwards. I was like, did that do anything to you? And they were like, honestly, yeah, I felt a little bit thrown off at the beginning. I last location, my light world access. But um, obviously they did just fine after that. And they absolutely trounced me because they're a better rando player than I am. And there's just no other way around that. So... I, I would not recommend doing that. I felt really shitty about it afterwards, you know? <laughs> As you should. Yeah, yeah. you should. So, yeah, so don't do not do that. Uh, but it is it is available. So we have a little bit of time left, and we kind of skipped over something here. I did want to just talk real quick about the meta. Um, you have added, uh, like, what that stands for. Uh, it being most effective tactic available. Yeah, I said that. I said that to you earlier this week. That was kind of when I was trying to get my point across about that meta gaming and the meta. Like when you're playing a game, it's like so. This the, the when I learned about like actually using the meta uh, probably was when I was playing. You know, in in a game like the phrase is what I'm getting at here uh, was when I played Overwatch and it was. Uh, it was kind of like, okay, I know that this combo of a team in competitive Overwatch is probably the best. Like, this is what the meta is right now. Like, this is what the the most effective way to win, basically, is. So, um, that's what we would try, and we did. We weren't good at it. Like, you still like in a game like that, you still had to be good at it. So, like, if you're good at it, like, let's swing this back to rando. If you're good at rando. It's probably not a good idea to skip a lot of stuff because if you're better than your opponent on just execution, you should be able to build up enough of an advantage most times that you can hopefully, and I, I use that term lightly, uh, be able to just you know double down on your checks and not have to worry about playing any hard, loose gambles. Now, sometimes your opponent can lose, like, you know, gamble against you because, you know, they know they're not as good as you and they end up like benefiting by doing that. Some that's that's rando. Sometimes that happens. It always feels kind of bad losing that way. Uh, it feels really great when you do win that way because it's like a huge upset a lot of times. So the meta is different to me with rando, um, like just using that as a whole, like the meta is kind of like 
This is what most players do. It is the most effective way to play this game in a randomized setting and still come out on top. Like that's with all the strategies you have. Like here's a real good example, right? Herf hates clown routers. Uh, not not the routing, but the routers. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, uh, you're you're correct. I hate the clown routers. The clown hate routing, the whatever. If nobody so, does it, I have nobody to hate. But the routers, they can take yeah. it up the butthole. <laughs> so my whole thing is like the meta is kind of not clown routing. A lot of people don't do it. Now sometimes a a, a clown route will appear. And that might become the new meta amongst a certain group of people. Like we've seen uh, throughout latter seasons with casual boots that sometimes people want to skip Kakariko for some ungodly reason by doing a water walk <laughs> down to the South Shore and doing that before Kakariko. I, I, I think it's a viable strat. There's no rules thing. You're not allowed to do it, but it's kind of clowny. Like it is mm-hmm. just a thing. Uh, and it's very much against the grain of what most people are going to do. So that's, I guess that's kind of, the meta usually is like casual boots, do escape, you know, make sure you don't skip the back of escape because you got boots. And then you go run over to Kakariko. Maybe because you've already got boots, you go run up and you check Aga. Maybe you don't. That's not, that's kind of a personal preference. But then, you know, the meta changes depending on what you see as your own most effective tactic available to win your race. Maybe, maybe that was a very verbose way of answering your question, Tim. <laughs> well, yeah, no, it was good. I, the, I think the main thing is, you know, I wanted to include a discussion of like the meta and what is the meta. And I think you've done a great job of explaining it. You know, it's generally agreed upon strats. Uh, I love that, uh, you know, anagram of most effective tactic available. I don't think that's where it comes from, but it happens to work perfectly. Um, and I, my question, my confusion, I guess, is that like, I see a direct correlation between the meta and the concept of metagaming in that the meta is these, you know, are these, uh, different kind of tricks and things that most people use and having information of that meta means that you can game the, your own playing, game the system, game somebody and use that information no. to either <laughs> no, do that so same thing. I feel like this is kind of where I come in with your question here in the outline. It says, okay. I've said he believes that the meta is different from meta gaming. And I, I think you, you, you almost put it there in the outline for yourself. So the meta itself is, as we were talking about, most effective tactic available, uh, whatever. It might be uh, check Lumberjack early in the seed, as an example that you put in here, or uh, always go into Pendant Skullwoods, because it always has progression, or, you know, whatever the broader, generally agreed-upon best way to play through a seed is for that given mode. Metagaming is playing specifically to, I don't know, as we were talking about your opponent, if it's a 1v1, the bigger group, if it's a bigger group race and everything. Now, here's the point that uh, is probably causing all of this, I don't know what you want to call it, disagreement. You can absolutely meta game the meta. So if yeah. the meta is, I check LJ early in a seed and you're like, nah, I'm going to risk it and never check Lumberjacks. You're metagaming the meta, but the two things are still very different concepts. Hmm. 
All right. I mean, I hear you. All right. So, like, I'm pulling up Urban Dictionary here, and I, I linked it for my co host to see. So, meta gaming. When the game information outside of what is available in a game is used to give a player an advantage in game. So that's where metagaming to me comes in. So if I'm playing, like going back to that Christos Andy race, Andy had no idea if the GT Big Cube is going to be right side, but he knew his opponent would check it. It influenced his decision, maybe gives him an advantage in the sense of if I'm ahead and I do this, I don't lose any time whatsoever because I know my opponent is going to do it. That's kind of where like that's kind of where I would come in. It's like I know my opponent's going to skip this, you know, like we'll go back to the gym thing from way back. He always skips left side swamp is what Herf was saying that people accused him of. So it would be a safe assumption to metagame gym by saying I'm going to go to left side swamp and hope progression is there. But then you have the meta overall, which is where it comes in like in MMO terms, most effective tactic available. And it basically works in the game regardless of what you want to work. So let's say you want to, you know, if the meta right now is dive pendant dungeons because of like the way the PRNG feels like it's working, you know, like you've played 15 seeds and there's always been something in pendant dungeons, then you don't want stuff to be in pendant dungeons. It's not fast. It's not on the way. It's not in your crystal dungeons. So therefore, the meta is kind of go to pendant pod, maybe go to pendant Eastern or whatever. And it it's not something you really want, but you know that the odds are this is going to work for you because that's what it is. Like that's like it's what's been happening. That's where the meta yeah. comes in and the difference between meta gaming. That's 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 yeah. my point. I don't know if Herf was on the same topic there or the same train or line of thinking. But that's kind of where my thought was with the difference between the meta versus metagaming your opponent. Yeah. Herf? Yeah, I think it's yeah. kind of in the same direction. I think we're, we're getting to the same point, essentially. Yeah, and just so I feel like the debate has shifted a little bit. I'm not <laughs> arguing that the meta is the same thing as metagaming. I'm not necessarily saying that, but I put in you know our outline to talk about, I put a little section for the meta and what I heard from both of you is like, oh, that that's not related at all. That's a completely st- different episode topic. I think it's like uh, defining eating and defining chewing. Like, yes, uh, technically they are very different. You can chew something and not eat it. You can eat something without chewing it. But for the purposes of an episode about food, I think we can assume that chewing and eating are at the very least both a part of it, you know? Uh, I think the original point was that we could do an episode about meta gaming without mentioning the meta, and I'm still mm-hmm. I still stand behind that. It totally would have worked because they're maybe related, or you can meta game the meta, but you don't need to know what the meta is or care about the meta to meta game your opponent in the game. Yeah, you don't have to worry about what's going to be the most effective way to beat the seed or how quickly to do something if you have think you have a mental advantage on your opponent for some reason. At that point, you're just metagaming, and it has nothing to do with the way the vast majority of the community may or may not play the seed. Yeah, I will agree with that. I don't think anything that you guys said is wrong. I, I just feel like make talking about it and making that distinction and discussing it and how they're not the same, even, even that is worth discussing. 
So you're yeah, saying the, the discussion was kind of meta, I guess. Is that is that the point where? <laughs> oh, is that kind of the yeah, whole thing we're trying to come back to? That because was a pretty meta conversation. Temp is just had. setting us up here. If that's what this is whole, the yeah, whole thing. Yeah, I think that was the whole point. I think we should yeah, just cut the episode here. That was like the the apex. We we can't get higher than that. We had now, a meta discussion a great show. about the meta and the meta gaming. We're never gonna reach a higher point. This is the end of the podcast. <laughs> I mean, we are we are done. Um, if you guys have any final thoughts about metagaming, throw them in here. But no, I'm good to end on that. I, I, I want to echo again, since we like to say that we're definitely for the newer runners, you know, and, and as far as teaching, do not feel obligated to metagame. Uh, if you feel like taking a gamble, I, you know, I, I will encourage it. I'll tell you do it. But uh, you got to be able to mentally... I guess maybe emotionally deal with the consequences if it does not work out for you and just die. You have to die on that hill. If you take a gamble, you have to be willing to die on that hill and stake your whole race on it. So just have that in mind. If you're trying to metagame your opponent, if you're trying to somehow metagame a qualifier um, <laughs> by gambling or something, but uh, yeah, uh, it, it works out sometimes, but sometimes it's not always. So that's that's yeah. kind of a big distinction. I, I think in the in the same vein as that, I would say don't worry too much about it. Don't go into every seed, you know, breaking your brain about meta gaming or the meta or how you should play. It's meh. It, you know, as Dante was saying, you have to commit to a decision and then be able to handle the outcome of it sometimes you'll win by like 20 minutes suddenly because you did some galaxy brain stuff that nobody was thinking about but sometimes you'll lose by half an hour because you decided to skip something and you never went back to it so my advice would be if you feel like it sure give it a try but always be mindful as Dante was saying of your mental state and how you'll be able to deal with it I personally when I still used to play more Sometimes I just went into a race, usually casual races of some sort with like five to ten people. And I was like, you know, I don't care. Win or lose, I'm going to do some stupid stuff today because I feel like it. And that alone can be, you know, a fun thing you do to mix up your rando experience a little bit. And there's nothing wrong with that. But as Dante was saying before, you really have to be mindful of not over committing and not going too crazy on the whole oh man i have to meta game every seed and i gotta do crazy stuff all the time yeah yeah i think anyone who has played randa recognizes it as a game full of choices it's all about the choices you make at any given situation you're always faced with dozens of different choices places you can go uh items you can collect whatever i think considering metagame or trying to metagame and considering your opponent should probably be one of the last considerations that you make. Let's say, for instance, you're like looking at two different areas of the map that you want to go next and you are just really, it's like a split decision. You're like, there's really good benefits to going here versus going there. Metagaming could be something to help you tip the scale a little bit. But I think if you are approaching all of your decisions and choices as what would my opponent do and then starting from there, I think that's where you could start to get into a lot of trouble. So consider it, know it, you know, maybe try to draw on it, but don't let it be your driving strategy. That would be my advice. Mm -hmm. 
Cool. All right. Well, uh, spirited discussion. Thank you, gentlemen, for uh, uh, you know having that discussion with me. Let's go ahead and hit some fetch questions and wrap this thing up. So we did get an uh, email. Actually, I got a Discord message from Schmitty60. Uh, and so I will read that now. Uh, they said, hello, Timp. I'm listening to the podcast at this very moment on the topic of magic management. You went through misery mire too fast by saying that you essentially only need magic for the Samaria block. I think you missed two other situations in mire. One is torch slash tile room where you need magic to light up the torches to get to the room above. There's a chest there, which could have a progression item or a big key in it. It can be very hurtful going in this room without magic. The second one is the two rooms before the cutscene chest. There, you also need magic to light up the torches in order to start the cutscene. Luckily, you can find a full refill on the tor- uh, uh, on the room before the torches, the room with those bomb enemies and the conveyor belts, or the right side before you oh, on the right side before you go up to the first torches room. When you do not recognize your magic status before you go up, you need to go back. Both have never happened to me. Wink. Keep up the good work in the podcast and congrats on your newborn. Shout outs to Herfy, the grumpy anti-clown router. And that was from Schmitty. <laughs> uh, Schmitty, you are absolutely right. Guilty as charged. We we went through Meyer too fast. We did miss those two points. Uh, very essential to have magic at both of those. Um, the one you mentioned, of course, it's very convenient because there's a full magic right before you head upstairs uh, before those four torches. The other one, you just got to be careful, I think. You know, like I said, there's not a lot of uh, magic in Mire. It's definitely something to account for, uh, having to light those um, four torches to open up that that room. So good catch, Schmitty. Thanks for keeping us honest. You guys and have hey, any final thoughts? Uh, thanks to Dante. I got some more anti-clown routing in this episode, even though I didn't plan on it. So shout out to Heck Schmitty yeah. again. There you go. And we had another email come in uh, shortly after the last episode released from Paul who said, hey guys, first time slash long time, just wanted to give a shout out to Herfie's are you saying boo or boo earns comment in the latest episode that seemed to go unappreciated. It was not. <laughs> and I just want to say, Paul, I totally got the Simpsons reference as well. I just didn't want to be that guy that was like, oh, Simpsons. You know, I just, I, I found it's usually cooler to just act like you you get it and you know everything and just not say anything in podcasting than it is to <laughs> pipe up and be like, Oh yeah, me too. Oh, I get it. I get it. You well, know, I think it's on people's nerves. The reason that went so far overlooked was because of me, because I kept talking and I'm going to tell you why I kept talking. I didn't hear her say it initially. <laughs> and then Aww. like, it's like a discord cut out or something because when I went back and listened to the episode, I heard it. And then I, I, I was like, I didn't even process that. Like, I didn't know what, like, I, I heard a noise, but I didn't know what it was. So. <laughs> That's usually how it goes when I talk to people. Oh, is someone talking? I'm hearing some annoying noise in my ear. That sounds awful. Yeah. <laughs> probably um, nothing. Yeah, it's probably nothing. So, eh. <laughs> Yeah, but Paul, thank you uh, still for for reaching out to us. Uh, and you know, you were absolutely correct. The Simpsons reference uh, deserved a shout out, and uh, now we've done it. So, very good. Um, I think that's pretty much going to do it for us. Uh, email at gomodepodcast.com at gomodepodcast on Twitter, and you can also f- uh, reach out to us on Discord. Uh, if you want to watch me play rando and also write music, you can do so at twitch.tv/temp underscore. And uh, I know this is controversial, but I'm just going to shout out Haikyuu again. 
It's so incredible. You guys have to watch it. I just finished it. I finished it. I'm finally caught up. And like, seriously, the things that this show has to say about competition and winning and losing and success, victory and failure and hard work and practice. It's just as someone who has been in a a competitive arena before, I see so many parallels between you know, people I knew coming up and how they dealt with competition and hard work and practice and, you know, certain leaders that I've looked up to and, you know, people that I've kind of acted as mentors towards. It's just they they absolutely nail all of that. And then on top of it, you have the super exciting, you know, volleyball action. Uh, but it's it's just an absolutely great show. Now that I've seen all of it, I cannot recommend it strongly enough. And I promise this is the last time I will recommend Haikyuu on this podcast, but I can't <laughs> promise it's the last time I'll mention it. Uh, Herf, why don't you why don't you go next? Uh, I gotta say this week, I'm a little boring. Uh, I've kind of, I, I guess I'll shout out the second DLC for Doom Eternal that came out recently. Uh, it was awesome. I loved playing it. Uh, it was a good conclusion to the whole thing. I'm really curious where they're going to go in the future, if there's going to be more Doom games, which, you know, with the success it had, I would be very surprised if they aren't. But they kind of concluded the story that they started with uh, Doom 2016. And uh, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. But other than that, I'm, I'm just waiting for more stuff to come out. Lately, it's been a little bit of a... a, a a drought for for as far as gaming goes for me hmm. uh dante did you play the new doom dlc i know you're also a big doom head i bought Is that it a thing people let, say? let me let me shout out my frustration of life uh real fast um life is probably not a good way to put this but so i i bought the dlc to finally stream it because i'm gonna stream it and, um, you know, I haven't played the part one or part two of the ancient gods and I'm looking forward to playing both. Um, and I, I think I DM'd or I was talking to actually both of you guys in the host channel about this, but for some reason, uh, I started playing doom and one of the like title patches for it since I had last played it was causing the game to completely stutter. So like I'd be mm-hmm. playing on like ultra or like high graphics or something and then it would just tank from like 170 FPS down to like 30 for like a split second and go back up. And I'm like, this isn't unplayable, but it's ab- like it's super obnoxious. So then I started looking some stuff up and I just put a new GPU or graphics card in my machine. Basically, uh, like I thought I needed to update my BIOS, which I did, didn't fix it. Long story short, apparently the fix is uh, the Steam UI where like, I guess it's the overlay where you hit shift and tab by default mm-hmm. to like open it was causing the stutter in doom eternal. So if you turn that off, it actually fixes the problem. So I spent oh, like wow. two hours on this past Sunday night, like updating my bios, hoping my computer re- boots correctly, you know, all that good stuff. And like, you know, wiping out all my old bios settings on my, my gaming rig and having to like repopulate everything. And it was just steam the whole time. So, wow. um, you know, a lot of waste to steam. Oh yeah. A lot of wasted time for me. Uh, but you know, at least I guess, uh, as, as a wise person once said, at least you've updated your bios and you don't have to do it again for the next 20 years or something (laughs) like that. So I wonder who that wise person was. I wonder. That is uh, wise advice. Wise Mm -hmm. bios advice. Um, cool. Okay. I wanted to give a, uh, huge shout out and thank you to Krellbell, who is officially our 50th iTunes reviewer. 
Krellbell, thank you so much for leaving the review. Uh, very kind words. And I mean, hell, if you want to leave us a review, you don't have to stop just because you didn't get that 5-0. Uh, 52 is coming up very soon, as we discussed, that if you want to be 52, that's an extremely cool title that you can take on for yourself. Um, so that is available if you want to leave us a review. We we seriously really appreciate those. Uh, and, of course, we do have that donation link uh, if you want to contribute there. All right. Uh, I think that is going to do it meandering sort of uh you know final talk to get us out of the episode ending with some sort of really cheesy mirror joke 